you could open up one of these businesses that I have on every single corner and there still wouldn't be enough services. There's 11,000 people in the state of Arizona that need the services that we provide. Keep in mind, we only provide three. We're doing this for the individuals and we're doing this to help them out. I think the bigger piece of what we do is actually for the families. We give them such a needed help and needed break. Arizona actually has one of the best systems in place in terms of services for the individuals who have these disabilities. I've had one family who moved from like Florida to Colorado to here. By the time they get these services, they're like almost in tears because they're like, thank God I finally get Mm -hmm. some support. There's decisions that we make that are like a turning point in our lives. For me, that was the decision. My whole life had been healthcare and, and hospital administration and everything. And so that decision to leave that behind and go, okay, Let's go this route. I loved this aspect of it. Meeting with families, understanding their stories and stuff, because everybody has a different story as to why they need these services. I'm in the service business. That's what we do. We help. Before we jump into our next conversation on the Wolf and Bull podcast, I want to take a quick moment to thank each and every one of you for tuning into this episode. All of the team here at Daremore Media prides themselves in the work that they put into each and every one of our episodes. And the best way to possibly help us is to leave a like, a comment, and a subscription. Our main priority is to facilitate honest conversation with captivating individuals that brings each and every one of our listeners and viewers a nugget of advice, wisdom, or insight that they can take away from every one of our episodes. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this episode of The Wolf and Ball. Jake. Why does your work matter? I think what's really important about what we do is I always tell my staff, you know, we're doing this for the individuals and we're doing this to help them out. But I think the bigger piece of what we do is actually for the families because we give them such a um, needed help and needed break really for what is required for them because they're, you know, I tell the staff, okay, if you're getting tired after six hours or five hours or whatever. Just imagine that parent has all day, every day, 365 days a year. Nonstop. No breaks. In part, this is kind of a respite scenario, at least as a a functional part of what you do. That's one of the services we provide, but there's about three of them. Um, It's attending care, habilitation, and then respite. Um, But, and, and they all work on different aspects. It's almost like you're doing a different job every single time you do a different one. So it just depends on, you know, which one you're doing, but I mean, so when you, when you say the families though, it is it, you're um, cohabitating during the day it at the family's house. Correct. Is that for the most part? Uh, what? Yeah. What so it's in home services. Um, mm-hmm. It just depends on what, where the, where the member is. It could be in, in a community setting or in a home based setting. So it just depends on what the individual services that you're actually working on with them. Cause hab is going to be something that can either be done in the community or at home respite. You can take them in the community or at home. Mm-hmm. Attending care is going to be the only one where you're actually doing it in the home. And that's more of our caregiving side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so doing things like cleaning, cooking, um, bathing, helping with um, laundry, things like that. Um, but habilitation is going to be a goal oriented program where you're um, it could be things like as simple as brushing, um, teeth or working on money, finances, things like that. And so you take them to community, go grocery shopping, um, and how that all can kind of translate. Where so go those, grocery are, shopping. those are all like little components of what you have to do um, to have a successful business and give the parents and family kind of a, as you said a moment ago, a, a break from really a, a decided life 
cycle, not cycle, life process that they, they have because they have special needs children. Adult, and these are adult children for the most part, aren't they? Yeah, adults and kids. Yes, we work yeah. with both. So do you see your uh, mission, at least in part, as supplying uh, an additional assistance of some kind to the family in general, as much as or more so or as a portion of what you're giving to the, the actual child or the adult special needs person? You know, I would, I would say it's more important for the families, to be honest with you, because, you know, I've had Arizona actually has one of the best systems in place in terms of services for, for um, the individuals who, who have these disabilities. Um, and so you have families who move. I've had one family who moved from like Florida to Colorado to here. And by the time they get these services, they're like almost in tears because mm-hmm. they're like, thank God, I finally get mm-hmm. some support. Some support and yeah. so, it, you know, it's it's really more of a relief for the families. It, it honestly is. I mean, mm-hmm. we're again, we're there for the members and that's ultimately what it's about. But, you know, when these families, especially, you know, single parents or, or people who you know work multiple jobs just to help this family, to give them the needed break and the needed help it's it's means a lot yeah for what we so do. you're 24 founder of a guiding light services how did we get here let's see i was in college and i uh, just needed a job so i started with a uh it was a, it was a summer job actually um and it was a, it was a called a it's a d uh dts program it's a day day treatment summer and it's for kids um and it's a summer program and there we had it was in chandler and we had like it was like 100 and something kids in this building um, and they break them up into different classrooms and stuff. And so I started in the um, middles classroom. So it was like ages, I think, 8 to 11 or something like that. Um, started there, and, and I had a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. It was um, something that I, I, I really found myself enjoying. And so whenever I was kind of leaving to go back to college, um, I was like, okay, well, you know, let me see if I can stay on. So I ended up staying on. I worked Tuesday, Thursdays, and... Um, Eventually, I kind of just kept growing with it, and, and eventually I moved up into um, a leadership, just a lead is what they call it, um, of, a, of a classroom. So I was the littles lead. So that's ages three to five, I think, or three to eight or something. Um, but it was me and like 18 kids. <laughs> and I was like wow. running around. I was my head. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. <laughs> and they're, you know, kids are enough as is. And I'm like, oh, gosh, this is, this is a lot. Um, but I, I just kept enjoying it. And so eventually moved and um through the summer and stuff and about a year later they asked me to um start a program out in queen creek and at that point i was still in college living on campus in college Mm -hmm. and so i had to make a really tough decision was either okay do i leave school leave you know this life of the campus life at i think i was like 19 or 20 um and do i go move pretty much back home because my mom lived in queen creek so it was like okay go to queen creek start this program and, and do it. And, and so I made the decision to go ahead and do that. And I think that decision was really where it kind of, to me, I look back on decisions and I look at, you know, there's decisions that we make that are like a turning point in our lives. And for me, that was the, the decision mm-hmm. to leave school because my whole life had been healthcare and, and hospital administration and everything. And so that decision to leave that behind and go, okay, let's go this route because this route doesn't pay at all. Almost a profound realization. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And so, left did that and i had a lot of fun built a program and and not only had a lot of fun but i was i was somewhat decent at it and i and i liked it and and it was it was great so you know just kept doing that building this program um started with like four kids i think and then we grew it to i think 30 um in like six months so it was great we had i had a good team 
really good staff and I just enjoyed that aspect of things. It was interesting only being like 20 years old and being in charge of this program and stuff. And I had a director above me, um, but eventually that director left. And so that filled a spot in there. And I was like, okay, well, you know, is there a chance that I potentially get this? And so I went ahead and, and spoke to the owners about it and, and was eventually granted that. Um, and so I became a director, I think at 20, I was 21 or 20, I was 21, I think mm-hmm. when, I, when I became a director um, of a program. And so that was a director of just one program in Queen Creek. Well, we had two programs. It was adults and then kids. So I was in charge of the kid program. And then I moved up to a director and being in charge of both programs. From there, um, just kept growing. And I actually eventually moved to Chandler, um, ran a Chandler Center and the Queen Creek Center at, this is like 22. And then eventually just kind of became the director of all the kid programs and all the other programs. And um, so, and at that point, I started to kind of look around because I was at that point, you know, you start to see your future. You're like, okay, this is my future. This is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. However, there's one big thing in that. Not everything's about money, but at some point you do have to look around and say, okay, well, I need to live. I need to have a life. I need to be able to do things. And when you're making X and there's not really any more routes to go, that's when you start to say, okay, well, I love what I do, but at the same time, I don't necessarily make enough to be able to live (laughs) and to enjoy this life and, and to have that life that I want. So I kind of just looked into how do I open up my own? You know, was there a possibility of that? I know you need money to do that, but what does that look like? And so I did. Um, and I felt like I didn't have all the experience necessary to kind of open up my own because I've only worked at one company at this point. So I was like, okay, let me, let me see what happens. So left that company. Um, and I moved to another company and keep in mind when I left that company, I had about probably, I think we had a total of like 300 members under me and, 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 and what we were working with left that company, went to a new company that had just started four members, mm-hmm. one, one, one center. So I went from this very large, large company fast to organization, yeah. very, very small. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was interesting because I hadn't even called parents at that point. I, I was at a point where I was just working with staff and, you know, putting out fires really in, as well. It was so to get back to the roots of, okay, this is like, how do you build uh, something, yeah. right? I mean, I got to build it up. I hadn't done that. I mean, even though it sounds, I hadn't done that in like three years. And at three years in my standpoint is a very long, long time. Yeah, I long mean, time. it's like, that's like three years of my life. Exactly. That's, that's um, you're one year away from graduating college. So it was interesting to get back into that. And I, and I, that's where I really found myself. Okay. This is what I'm good at. I'm good at growing programs. I'm, I'm good at managing and stuff as well, but it's not even that I, I loved this aspect of it. Meeting with families, understanding their stories and stuff, because at, it came to a point where, I didn't even know who some of these members were. I had no idea who their families were. I had no idea what was going on with the big company. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'd go into these rooms and I'd be like, who is this kid? Like when Mm -hmm. did this kid get here? And it's sad because I don't, I don't like that. I don't want to be in that area. So I want to know my families. I want to get to know everybody and I want to hear their stories because everybody has a different story as to why they need these services and what's, you know, what is it that we do that really helps them? So anyways, so um, went to this new program and, and I was actually offered an opportunity to start my own program there. Um, and I did it. Um, I started with, um, we were doing day programs, but I actually started with uh, in-home services. So it was HAB respite and attendant care and started that in January of 2022. However, you start the company, but then you have to go through this very long process with the state. Mm-hmm. Um, it took about, I think it was 11 months and a lot of writing, a lot of finances, a lot of just, Stress. oh God, you need, I, to go through this, you need a lot of grit because, yep. oh my gosh, they put, they, 
they'll just it goes it, it's a it's a tough point of so, your life episode's brought to you by Americano Ammunition Coffee, serving true American patriots the means to defend their freedom one caffeinated caliber at a time. Make sure to visit their website, ammoandcoffee.com, and grab yourself a bag of their amazing coffee beans. Or, if you happen to be in the Arizona area, visit their shop in Queen Creek. Make sure to mention the Wolf and Bull, and you'll get 25% off your order. Oh! Go to ammoandcoffee.com, or I'll attack you. I'm Murphy. So you, you leave college. You had a profound realization, left college, started your, started your own company. Can you walk us through any stress related to that? And then in follow-up, can you walk us through what it means to you to work with people who have disabilities? You know, it's funny because I'm, I'm stressed. I was stressed every day going to work, right? Because you're, you're managing programs. Everything's on you at that point, right? And I was always like, you know, this is this is good. I don't mind the stress. I, I kind of enjoy it. It kind of gets me going. But at the end of the day, it was like, okay, this isn't my company. So I'm, I cared a lot about that, about the future of that company, but this isn't my company. I don't own this. This isn't, this isn't, if this fails or doesn't fail, I'm, I'm okay. Right. That changes when you own your own company. The stress is like 10 times more because everything's on you. Right. I always say I'm the last to eat because (laughs) I had to pay this person, pay that person, pay that person, make sure all this and still have money in there. And for, you know, a rainy day. And then I get money. That took like months. I didn't, you know, when you start a business, you don't, you don't think about all these things. You don't think about, you know, the, the months of you're going to have like zero dollars and zero cents and everything else. All you hear about starting a business is, oh, well, you know, it's going to be great and you're going to make so much money and the freedom and everything else. And, and so I had to kind of switch my philosophy on that because I started a company for money Mm -hmm. and I switched it to, okay, I can't chase money because there's nothing if you chase money, you're going to fail because money is infinite. You can make as much money as possible, but it's never going to be good. So you have to chase something else. So I switched to, okay, well, I want freedom. I want to be able to do whatever I want, when I want, anytime I want. And so that's kind of what I started to chase. And that helped me take that stress level down. In a roundabout Mm. way, you're also providing a level of freedom to those that you help. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think that's the best part of it. And so the freedom is really what I started to kind of chase because that allowed me to take that stress and be like, well, it doesn't matter if we make this or make that or whatever, as long as we're making money and we're doing what we're doing and we're helping people, that's all I care about now. So, you and, know, and that's what switched. You know, it's an interesting point you make because there's, there's kind of a two prong approach. And we've talked with several entrepreneurs in this, in this line of questioning as well. And, and I've had that experience as well. And Cameron's involved in that experience right now. Uh, the wolf is involved in that experience right <laughs> they now. They know my name. They say it out uh, loud. But there's this there's this finding something that contributes to what you would say is a mission statement for others, right? A business that impacts others. Yeah. Certainly special needs, the families, the single parents, all those kinds of things. You could talk about that for hours and, and drill that down and say, okay, there's a there's an outside reason to create this guiding light. But there's a secondary reason and that's self fulfillment. It's in your case, you're mentioning freedom, money and freedom. And those things are tied together, right? Because yeah. because uh, people understand that the people that go to work for someone else are trading their time for dollars, right? That's yeah. that's what it is. You Absolutely. go in, you work 40 hours a week, you pay 40 hours a week. People that are doing their own thing in their own business are definitely doing some of that. 
but they're looking to a, a, for a point where they grow a business to to the degree where their hours are paid whether they're awake or asleep right yeah. and that's so that's an important message i think for those that are listening or watching is that you know because one of the quote unquote american dreams at one time was get get your own house right that was the, the number yeah. one american dream then it changed and there were so many people that want their own businesses but they don't have the insight that we're talking about here today at all they don't, they think oh i see those business people over there and they're on their boat they're on their vacation they've got the nice car they've got the nice house all these other things well that just doesn't happen overnight <laughs> yeah. and there's a, there's a lot of uh, i think you said it a minute ago either you got it's a grind or a, you got to have some grit to get yeah. through it or yeah. something like that and i think that's a really important thing to focus in on because and that's what i'm interested in talking to you about it's yeah. You know, I have a special needs child as well. So I I have a a lot of understanding for that aspect of the people and the families you're talking to. But at the same time, I think for people out there that are listening, they want to know how you marry that up with your desire for that freedom to control your own calendar. It's funny because you mentioned, okay, well, they're on their boat and everything. They don't see the shots of them on their cell phone constantly working, though. I mean, that's, I think, the reality of owning your business. You work seven days a week. People call you non-stop i mean they don't they don't care you know what time it is or whatever they need help and that's i think that you know for some companies they probably do they probably do shut off the phone and say you know don't bother me my hours or this and that i don't do that because you know i just think i, I don't have anything you're too damn to young do. to do that yet yeah, i'm well, telling yeah, you right I, now well, 24 you I don't, don't shut it i don't have anything better to, i mean if i'm my rule is if i'm awake i'm gonna answer and it, it really is i've had parents call me at 1 a.m where I, i'll respond i don't really care that much it doesn't bother me to I'm in the service business. Mm. That's what we do. We help. And so how am I going to expect that my employees will help, but I'm not going to help. I mean, I I have to get in there and and also take their phone calls. And some people call me and they just want to vent about situations and, you know, because I I get it. It's tough. You know, my, my aunt um, has uh, down syndrome and um, which down syndrome alone is not the worst case scenario, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's cases where it, it, you have behaviors and, and things like that. There's maybe some defiance, but defiance over and over again, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day can be tough to work with. If you need constant redirection every single day, you know, it gets tiring to tell that person over and over and over and over again, Hey, do this. Mm-hmm. And they still don't do it. it it's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's a port, that's a piece that's really difficult for, I think our staff to have that, compassion with the members because i get frustrated i i'm i well, used to be very impatient yeah and it, this job has taught me to be patient um because it's just not going to work <laughs> so <laughs> no matter what so jake a big part of i mean you touched on the next question i have for you pretty pretty heavily but i want to dive into it a little bit deeper a big part of what you do involves relationships with others mm-hmm. what values what what do you value quality wise in other people especially the people you surround yourself with. I would say definitely having some sort of care aspect of it. When people don't care that for me, I, I don't know why I've always struggled with it, but it's, it, it, it just immediately turns me off and it, it not even turns it, it, it just, it makes me in a position where like, I don't care now. It, it, it deflates me. I mean, it, it does not help when people don't care because I, uh, when I get passionate about things and I, I tend to care a lot um, especially about things that I uh, involved with or, or some aspects. So when people don't share that same, are you talking about like 
people that you're trying to employ or the, some of the families or both. family members? You know, both. There's, you know, <clears throat> a lot of these individuals are loved and cared for and everything, but I've, I've seen cases where they're not. You know, they're neglected and stuff. And that has that's to do, that's culturally, you know, there's in, in some situations that's, that's just how that is. And mm-hmm. it is very heartbreaking. But at the end of the day, we have to step in and provide that for them. That's why we're here. I mean, we're here to, you know, it, our job is very interesting because there's a line there, right? But at the same time, we have to be able to show these members love and know that they're cared for. Um, we're, we're, it's very different. Our line of work is, is extremely different than than most see i think that care portion is very interesting to me but i i've i've dealt with a lot of medical professionals and other people that deal with special needs as well over the course of my career my life and there are some very good ones that until you know them you think they're kind of callous you think they're kind of very standoffish and what you realize over time is they compartmentalize in a way that makes them seem like they don't care and I think it's a, a protection mechanism for themselves so yeah. that they don't emotionally get overwhelmed. And I, I would suspect that some of your employees, especially the ones that are day to day with people that they see over and over again, they develop a relationship with them. Oh, yeah. and it's got to be hard to watch because special needs, your, your guiding light runs the gambit, I would imagine, between people that are wheelchair bound, mm-hmm. uh, maybe epileptic, maybe, yeah. uh, you know, spina bifida, all kinds of different things in with all kinds of variations and degree of, of special need. Yeah. So I, it's gotta be tough on your employees. Are there things that you do to try to get them to compartmentalize or to understand that this is their job and that they need to be able to have a decompression period? Maybe, yeah. you know, it's a little bit of both because for those of them that are new and have no idea what, you know, and even I had that instance where it was like, okay, what exactly is special needs, right? Well, they, I don't even know if they, they call it anymore. They call it intellectual and developmental disabilities. But, you know, for me, it was like, okay, well, they're, that special needs kids, you know, is like that person with Down syndrome or whatever mm-hmm. and everything. And I remember when I first started working, I was like, what the heck is this? Like, I was like, I've never really... I've heard of autism, but I've never really mm-hmm. been involved with it at all. And, and I think it's interesting because for people who haven't really expected to know what working with these individuals is like, it's an, it's very different than, than kind of, you know, you don't expect them to have a behavior or be fixated on something or um, do that. So when it comes to our employees and, and how that um, kind of works, we try to do a little bit of both. This is a job and this is a profession, a professional um, setting that we're trying to set. So at the end of the day, you know, we're there to provide a service and we're there to provide our care. So the relationships are important, but we need to make sure that that member is cared for the proper way based off of their individual service plan, based off of all the other stuff that we come up with. Um, but there's also a human side of that as to where these cases can sometimes be very sad. Um, they can be tough. And so we have to kind of back up and take a deep breath and say, okay, how are we going to handle this and everything else? So that's, it's very difficult to do in an in-home setting because I'm not there with my staff every single day. I can't be in 60 places at one time. So that it does get tough. So we try to check in on them. We try to our best to make ourselves available for them. And and for most of them, I think they would say we're we're pretty available. Um, but the in-home side of stuff, that is actually a, one of our struggles is mm-hmm. that we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we better support these individuals who are in home? Um, and, and a lot of agencies have the same struggle. It's not, we're not alone in this. 
in, in a lot of cases, you'd hear a lot of families say, well, you know, we're kind of just left out, you know, um, and it is, you're, you know, you're in home, you're, you're, you're kind of just doing your own thing, which is fine. Um, but you're still an employee of the company. And so you still need to be treated as such. Um, and that's one big thing I try to really get into my employees heads is like, you're still employed by me. So we need to make sure that you're taking care of, you're following our policies. Um, and, and it can be a pain in the butt because they're in home. I have no control. I don't even know what's going on day to day. I check in, you know, once every month or so, but other than that, this is all you. So, so it's difficult. It sounds like there's a lot of potential emotional turbulence with the positions that, um, that your employees work in. How do you approach talent acquisition and retention? A couple of different ways with that. One of the, one of the things the state requires is to actually have, um, it's three months experience of either some sort of like babysitting or something that's going to relate to the job. So that's one of the biggest things they require. So we try to kind of have somebody who has some general experience, but the biggest thing we look for, um, there are two things that I can't teach you. It's compassion and commitment. Um, I always tell my staff, if you have compassion and you have a little bit of commitment, you're going to be just fine because that's what it takes because you're going to struggle. Again, you're working on goals that you may not ever achieve, but we're going to continue to work on them. And you may have to repeat the same exact thing every single day for ever, for however long this service plan is going to be. So you need to have the commitment to make that happen. But then you also need to have compassion because you're going to get tired. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to have an understanding of, okay, why aren't they on, why aren't they getting it? But then when they do finally get it, that is like, even if it's something so small, I remember I had a member who they, when we were tying shoes, they couldn't do the underneath part that you need to do in order to do it. They would just go straight to the little, the, what do they call the bunny, the bunny ears, ears or whatever. Yeah. And they would just, and I'm like, no, you have to do underneath. Like, this is how mm-hmm. we have to do it. Oh, okay. Okay. Let me do it. Okay. Oh no, you don't do that. <laughs> so, but then when we finally had that breakthrough, uh, okay, go under. It was like, oh my gosh, we did it. Like this was such a big achievement for them because now they can tie their own shoes. That was the final piece that they needed in order to do that. So that's, you know, the full process of that's an amazing little anecdote because I mean, it's the little things Mm -hmm. that jump out at you and kind of get you going. And it's that care thing you were talking about earlier. You know, one of the things we try to do is we try to break the goal down into about many different goals. So if you have one goal, that's like brushing teeth. That's a very vague goal, right? If you, if I had no idea what you were talking about and you tried to tell me, go brush my teeth, I'd be like, what? So my goal is, okay, let's break that down and let's say, okay, first we're going to start with going to the bathroom, right? Mm-hmm. Or wherever your toothbrush is. Maybe mm-hmm. it's in the kitchen. I don't know, but that's what we're going to start with. And then from there, okay, now we need to grab our toothbrush and then we need to grab, see, see how many steps there are in between. And we don't think about that, right? We don't understand how many steps there are in between brushing your teeth and being done, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a million steps. I mean, there really is. When you really think about it, I go in, grab my toothbrush, grab the toothpaste, put some toothpaste on it, dense it uh, get it under the water, which I don't think dentists recommend, but get it under the water. <laughs> Especially not in Arizona. In, right? And then, yeah, exactly. And then go in, right? Okay, top. Bottom, both sides, mm. tongue. Two minutes. You know, yeah, it, whole... two minutes. Think about that. You look like you're trying million. to remember so, how to brush your teeth right there. I, I was. I was like, <laughs> okay, how do I do it? <laughs> so it sounds to me, it, it, obviously, you know, you're you're providing a really great anecdote on how you walk your 
employees through guiding their clients. Yeah. With that being said, guiding. Ha. With that go. being said, nice. it, that's it, why it, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> it. It almost sounds like you're describing kind of a, a rules for life strategy, success. There's many different steps to success. Mm-hmm. So are there any particular business philosophies that you might prescribe to in your own personal life? I try to get the opinions of others in everything that I do. Um, I, I value everybody's opinion, whether or not I believe in it. I don't really care. It's just more of, and I don't know if it's like psychologically, I want either their, um, what is it? You know, more data points is what it sounds like. You want more data points to make your decision. Yeah, you know, everybody has an opinion and I kind of want to hear everybody's opinion, whether or not they're right. Right. Because somebody's going to value, they're going to offer you something, right? They're not just going to tell you, Oh no, we don't want to have it. They're going to offer you something to it. So I would say value everybody's opinion, whether or not you like it, because it's, it's, it's feedback and feedback's good. Okay, well, roll as that as forward, roll that forward a little bit though, because okay. if you spread your, your, um, opinion gathering out to a periphery people that you know or don't know very well that have that don't know anything about what you do well do you just kind of disregard those or do you focus in on well, you know i've heard experience i've heard pickles well, are actually really good at cleaning your teeth they so. are as a matter of fact <laughs> just, yeah, just, <laughs> start with a pickle first then you brush exactly. then you eat the pickle again. I, thought you, I thought you were jumping into an ad and, and here's you know, why they're they're these, uh, pickles. <laughs> <laughs> they are our choice of pickles the choice <laughs> of pickle dentists everywhere you're at guiding light we know <laughs> we don't have any sponsors at guiding light unfortunately <laughs> yeah. i'm working on it i'm um no i mean no, because even if you don't have any sort of idea of what I'm doing, you can still get somebody's opinion, right? Mm. You can get marriage advice from somebody who's not married. And probably it's, it's probably unsolicited too. Hold on. See, I, I, <laughs> yeah, probably, I, I, I got to beg to differ with you on this. Okay, go ahead. You know, I, you know, I think opinions oh, are great, boy. but there's an old saying about that. There's kind of like, kind of like everybody has them, right? Sure. My contention though, is that getting a broad base of opinions is very good if you have kind of a parameter around the the people you're asking. In other words, other entrepreneurs, other people that are in the the, the this special yeah, leader let, disabilities organization, all those kind of medical advice, all this kind of stuff. Something that has because, dude, you could start something, and I have well, no opinion, or I I'll have an opinion about something you start today, and you might look at me and go. You don't know what the hell you're talking sure, about. Sure, let, let's clarify on that. I'm not asking, you know, Johnny on the street. Hey, no, Johnny on the street, that, what do you but think there's about, a lot of you know, Johnnies off the street that you know that have no oh, clue. Yeah. You know what? I've noticed that there's been questions that I don't know the answers to mm-hmm. that some of my friends who are maybe experts in other fields know, right? Mm. My Maybe some friends that have business analytics degrees or something like that, I can ask questions to that I'm like, okay, hey, do you know this or not? Because I... So, you know, there's no, there's, there's no training on, it's funny when you start a business, there's no training on a lot of the stuff that you have to do, <laughs> there's sure. no, you know, tax things, account, there, there's none of that. I mean, you can go to school for these individual things, but the thing, the thing about it, I think is those are all specialized towards one thing with the business. You have to worry about all of it. There's insurance, there's accounting. There's, so when, you, so I try to surround myself with people that know a lot of that stuff that I don't know because I don't, I don't know it all. I don't know a lot of stuff. And mm-hmm. so when I ask opinions of people, it's okay. You know, what do you know about this? Because I have no idea what this means. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of times in terms of if they do stay, if it's somebody that I'm like, you know, have no idea what they're doing or they know that I, they have no idea what I do. I'm, I'm not really going to, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll listen to them, but I'm not going to necessarily take I, that. You know, I'd be like, I, yeah, I, I think one that. of the things a lot of people do is they, they, 
spread their opinion base very wide because they don't have a definitive direction they're taking themselves. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Hmm. But, uh, you know, I think choosing um, what to take from other people, it's kind of like reading a book. It's kind of like watching this video. It's kind of like a lot of things that we do in life over and over again. If you want to swallow it whole, then you're just going to be echoing whatever somebody else is saying, which is not necessarily what you're thinking. You're not really guiding what you're thinking. You're just going along with a crowd or, or an opinion of something like that. That's, that's massive. That's, That's why you see a lot of the problems and polarization you have today out there in the world. But if you read a book, you watch a video and you say, you know what? There were three or four unbelievable great nuggets that apply to my life or my business or my whatever. That's an intelligent way to, to swallow. No, I agree. And I think this kind of segues into the next question. You know, last year, the millennials, right? Yes, I am actually. So, so last yeah. year, the millennials. So, so baby millennial. It's cutesy. Uh, yeah. Millennials. So you're, you're almost a Zoomer, which would mean bad news. Uh, almost a Zoomer. Just almost a, so there's constant things in life as you and I and, you know, the bowl of experience. They're constantly grabbing your attention, constantly giving you advice that might be solicited or unsolicited. What's it like being a business owner in that environment at 24? You know, believe it or not, you don't get a lot of advice from people who are your age. One, because they're not doing the same things you are, which is fine. We're all on different journeys, of course. You know, everybody's doing different stuff. But, you know, a lot of times there's nobody, nobody open to business. So they have no idea what it even means and and the effort that it takes and everything else. So, you know, I don't get a lot from my generation, but everybody else. Oh, man. You, your people. Oh, man. (laughs) You're all the boomers. I know you're going to say that the damn boomers want to tell you everything. It's like. Because we like, think dude, we know you've it been all. running the mom and pop shop. Like, no offense to you, but like that's that's great. Yeah. But not you specifically. I'm saying other offense people. to you, bull. Offense you know, directly. <laughs> my thing about, we're going to be better than that, right? Mm-hmm. We take those lessons of what you've done, and how are we going to make that better, mm-hmm. right? Because I think a lot of times, especially with the older population, I might get canceled on this. Oof. But they tend to have a know-it-all philosophy of this is how you need to do it. And if you don't do it this way, it's incorrect. And that's not true because you can do things many different ways and it might either fail or not fail and it might be successful and it might not. But the reality is, is you don't know until you do it. And that's the fun part. I think about being in a position where you can make decisions Mm -hmm. because people are going to tell you this route or this route, which one do you want to do? Well, I don't know. Let's see. Let's see. both. how can we do that? And so I think it's, I think it's great to kind of, challenge those individuals and say, here's, here's what we're going to do. And you're going to deal with it. You say that there's a lot of advice from individuals been doing something probably similar for a very long time. What would you tell to new business owners who are looking for advice from those people? You know, I actually had a friend approach me recently and I said, Hey, you know, what do you, what do you think about starting a business and everything? And I tell them all the same thing I said, okay, well don't start it for money because that's, that's the wrong way to go because you're, again, you're, it's, there's infinite amount. You're never going to hit that success because even if you make a hundred thousand, you're going to be like, Oh, well let's make 200. Let's make three. Let's make four. Let's make a million. It's never going to be enough. It's a rat race. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And and people might say, Oh no, no. Once I get to this, no, you won't. Once you get to that, you're going to want that. And so you have to set your sights on something else, right? One, I say, do something good. Do some good in the world. Try to do something that's because you can do you can make money a lot of bad ways. Right. But do something that's meaningful and is going to make you feel good. And then also do something that's going to bring you some sort of freedom. I think for me, learning, you know, having the freedom has really been the best thing for me. And so I try to encourage my friends 
the, the sad part about having freedom is that a lot of your friends don't have freedom. So when you're, you know, when you're, you're having freedom go, alone. Yeah. You know, it really is mm-hmm. when you're, you know, you're able to go golfing on a Tuesday at 12 o'clock, but no one else is, you know, and, or go grocery shopping during the day. But you don't realize those little things of when you are able to make your own schedule and do your things that you're like, wow, this is, I have so much more time back now because I don't need to, I don't need to work from nine to five and then go home, go to the gym, do this. Mm-hmm. By the time I get home, it's, it's seven o'clock. Now I got what, two hours before I got to go to bed again to wake mm-hmm. up, to do it again. Mm-hmm. It's not for me. It really isn't. And it's, I don't think it should be for a lot of people. I think that system is that system's old news right there. I mean, who the, the heck systems are that? changing. You are absolutely right they about are. that. Four day schedules are becoming the, so the, popular. The, well, I I've advocated for that for years and years and years, and I'm in an industry that doesn't really allow for it. I think they, but it's it is changing. I think there's there. studies that have come out that have said um, people who are on a four day are like not more only productive. are happier, of course, yeah. but they I think they're more productive, right? Yeah, when more it productive. comes to that, so a lot of these employees are doing things for the owners right that aren't working as much that's probably the honest truth we're working more who knows but so there you know there needs to be some sort of okay let's make these people happy and let's do this and that way we can kind of have the freedom to be able to do whatever we want and vacation and all these other things because that's going to bring them happiness and ultimately happiness is going to add to productivity Mm -hmm. versus you know sure you can make $200,000 $200,000 a year, but if you can't take one day off, you're, what are you doing? You're not well, going to be happy. So that brings an interesting caveat because the, the differentiating factor for a lot of people who are employees who are not business owners would say, well, I have 40 hours a week. I have an end date. I've got a weekend. I know when to turn it off. So for you being a business owner and all of us in this room being business owners, how do you balance your personal, your work life and your other commitments and what recommendations or advice would you give to someone who's looking to start their own business and balance out those things? You know, the honest truth is I <laughs> I work and then I take a break. I'll work for like maybe a good hour or two. And I, when I mean work, I mean, you know, focused right here. We're going to get it done like like super like good employee, you know, and then I take a break. OK, and it doesn't have to be it could be going and I don't know, doing anything, taking a walk, going and checking the mail, going to grocery shopping. For me, that's a break. I'm like, OK, I'm, I don't have to think about this, even though my mind's still running on the million other things I need to do. I think, you know, just kind of figuring out, okay, when do I need a break? Because I think a lot of people do struggle with like, okay, nine to five, I got to work from that full nine to five, maybe two breaks in between. But me, I can, I can really bust it out and then, okay, take a quick break and then get back into it. So, uh, I mean, definitely taking time for that. Um, I mean, finding hobbies that you enjoy, I think are fun to go do. You know, it's funny because you, you mentioned a minute ago that, uh, you know, the, the freedom part to attending to your own calendar, the finding time to do breaks, doing things during the day when other people can't, all that kind of thing is real important to you. And I think there are some people that are built around the general, I want to, I want to turn on my work brain and then I want to turn off my work brain at Mm -hmm. a certain time period. And of course we have to have those people for our current methodology in the society who exists the way it does. That may change quite a bit but it it's i think there are people that are set up that way but the differentiator in my opinion and i'd like to hear your opinion on this the differentiator is something you said a little bit earlier find something you really either like or love to do the ones that are caught in this nine to five sequence typically are just there they're checking their clock and they're doing what they're supposed to do to to get again trade hours for dollars but they don't really like what they're doing yeah they mentally check out yeah i think i think that's you know, they always say, okay, find what you lo- or love, what you do, and you'll never work a day in your life. And right. I think that is true to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
however, I think I think that whole philosophy of okay, well, um, you know, I'm going to turn my brain off at five o'clock when I'm out. That doesn't work in our field because we're I have people, especially when you own the business, that doesn't work. How am I supposed to just turn it? Okay, what I don't take phone calls at six. Like I can't do that. I would I never have, suggest you to do that. Yeah, no, yeah, but yeah. that's what I'm saying. It doesn't. You know, that's great for people that can, but I can't do that. I have to answer the phone on weekends. <laughs> um, you know, anywhere I have to. I mean, I've answered. I've answered the phone at crazy places. Like I, there's a picture of me actually on vacation at the um, what is the what is it the the Empire State Building in New York on the phone and my phone when I'm taking the picture my phone's down here but mm-hmm. there's a picture before of me on the phone and I'm just like this is this is the part people don't see they see the picture mm-hmm. of oh you're look at you traveling I'm on the phone like for 40 minutes a parent needing something right mm-hmm. so they don't see that and so it doesn't work in in when you're in a leadership position or any any higher up C level executive position that philosophy doesn't work and one you don't get there mm-hmm. by turning your brain off at five you just don't because you need to be involved with this thing because people are relying on you. And so if you're turning off at five, what, how is that going to help anybody? That's not going to help. But if you're trying to grow something and, and are super involved, you have to be available. You have, this is, you know, it's not just a job at that point. It's people that are trusting you to make this go a certain way. Because at the end of the day, my livelihood is involved in or entrusted in you to make that happen. And if you don't, we're all screwed. So that brings up an interesting thought to me. So you've, you've obviously with your industry, it doesn't allow for much turning off. So yeah. question for me, for to you is, you know, how do you handle that stress or challenges? And then, you know, how do you maintain your well being in association with that? The greatest thing about being in home services is that my office is my phone. So, you know, there's not a need. I can be anywhere. And that, and that's the greatest part of it is I can be anywhere and I need to be taking phone calls, answering emails, you know, doing that stuff. And so someone who does own a business that I think would require a lot of their, I don't know that I could do that mm. because that, that would be too much. I wouldn't have time then for personal. So I think I've also chosen the right industry because there are some industries where, you know, if you own a uh, restaurant, you're probably going to be there 24 seven all day, every day. And that's, that's difficult. I can't, I, I couldn't do that. Do me wrong. I love what I do. And I think a lot of people do love what they do, but I don't want to do my work every single day. I mean, who does, who wants to do that? I mean, at some point you do have to enjoy um, what you want. And so I've, I've found to just kind of rope everything together. Mm. I mean, whether I'm golfing or whether I'm, you know, uh, going to the movies with friends, I'll be answering messages. Like I've just, I've just learned to kind of work while I'm doing these things that I also enjoy or why I'm. So you're the guy a road down for me whose light is on the phone while I'm trying to watch the movie. That's you, huh? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, probably, I mean, yeah. it, you know, I'm always, I just, you just got to find a balance. And once you find that balance, it's like the greatest thing ever. I think that's mm-hmm. when you really know that you made it because you're like, Oh, I found the balance of like, I can do this and also do this. And this is perfect and it's mm-hmm. working. And it's like, Oh my gosh. I figured it out, you know, and, and that's, again, it's not, for me, it's not about how much money I can ever make or anything. I mean, that's cool. Don't get me wrong. It, it is great to be able to go, you know, vacation and have a house or whatever. But at the end of the day, when I think when you figure that out, you're like, oh, wow, this mm-hmm. is like, this is the point I think where you, cause that stress level that you're talking about dips. I mean, it really does. I mean, I, I don't say, I wouldn't say I'm as stressed nearly as much as probably a lot of people. And that could be a lot to my field that I've chosen and the in-home services. I mean, we haven't done, 
you know, um, uh, center-based programs. And when I do, that could be a moment of like, I'm going to be super stressed, but until then I'm figuring it all out pretty well. So, you know, <laughs> you don't define success as monetary value. So how do you define success and what steps are you taking in your personal and your work life to achieve it? Success is, is subjective to the individual really. I mean, I can say that I'm successful by, you know, doing this or doing that or whatever, or some people say I'm successful because I have the most amount of money or I have all these abilities to go do things. Uh, You know, success is really up to you. How do you value success? Do you value success by hard work? Do you value success by having the most money, by having material stuff? Do you value by being super involved and volunteering and have more time to do all that? It depends on you. I mean, really, what do you think success is? Because once you figure that out, you're going to be able to think, okay, I'm successful. A lot of people go off of the, um, the society's thought of what is success and not instead of their own personal thing. This is your life. Yeah. Everyone else is just living in it. I mean, you really got to think that way. It doesn't matter what Sally on the street thinks of what you're doing because you're like, this is great. I'm having a great time. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you got to enjoy life and you got to yeah. have fun and, and, and value what you're doing and have success with that. So, I think that's a great way to do it. And and really, I think the steps to get there is just figuring out what it is that you want in life. You know, a lot of people live a life for others and that's, it's, that's okay to do, I think. But the problem with that is, is I always say, okay, you're filling everybody else's cup up first, but you're not filling up your own cup. And so you're going thirsty, but everyone else is, is having a great time. That's not a life that's, you know, if you, if I run thirsty, I can't fill up anybody else's cup at that point, because now my cup's empty. I have nothing to give. So, so it, you know, it's kind of like my they, little analogy there. Well, I like the analogy a lot. It's kind of like they say on the plane, of course, right? If you want to help anybody yeah. around you, you got to put your own mask on. Well, that's right? mainly because then, the cabin's going to lose pressure. Well, and you Yeah, know, you pass uh, out. You're going to die in about three yeah. seconds. But, so. you know, the funny thing about what you just talked about is that most people do define sex. 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 Wow. <laughs> say, start that most sentence over again. Podcast. do define success <laughs> I'm talking about as a comparative, right? They compare to their neighbors, yeah. other business owners, all this other stuff. And there's nothing wrong with taking a look around you and kind of yeah. setting up your profile that way. But ultimately the definition of success should revolve around a personal expectation. Uh, I, you, you said it earlier, uh, right at the beginning of this podcast, it's about freedom for you. Yeah. That's my and, success. And uh, to unpack that further, what is that for you? Right. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's kind of, kind of your definition of success. Obviously, money is attached to that, yeah. but freedom is like what are you, Mel Gibson yelling freedom? You know, it's, it's come on, <laughs> freedom. No, it's just it's just you being able to do whatever you want when you want to. That mm-hmm. that for me, that's what I want. I can yeah. I can be anywhere in the world at any time, still being able to do my work and being able to have my leisure time. So basically, well. an international a life of international espionage. espionage well, crime. Right. I'm not going to get into the international stuff. That's, <laughs> that's my side gig. <laughs> my other company, Secret Spy Stuff, LLC. <laughs> you know, going back for a second to, to kind of the conversation with millennials versus us more intelligent generation right, yeah, excuse me yeah. uh, the, the, the boomer you guys the, the but, how, how many no, years no, have we shut but the know-it-alls <laughs> but you know the funny thing is is and you said this earlier and it's it's true i i like to see progress i like the changes i like technologies i like new thinking and out of the box and all those kind of cliches but i do think there's some kind of threads of truth that run through things we do in our life whether it's entrepreneurial whether it's family whatever they are those things really don't change 
Mm, they really don't. Oh, yeah. They're they're like they're like pillars in our thinking. And that's what I think sometimes is missing today with the younger generations, if you will. They see those, but they want to, it's, it's the whole well, burn all the old stuff down and create well, something new. Let, let's keep something very important in mind while we're talking about this. Okay. I am a, well, not single, but I'm, I'm not married. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not married. I have no children. I don't have a house. I have a car payment and insurance. And a cat. And a cat. I do have a cat. Those are, that's my, and a whole lot of love to give, right? And a whole lot of love to give, of course. Everybody needs love. No, but, uh, you know, so that, that's something really important, right? Because somebody who's has three kids and has a house payment and a car payment and everything else may think more, a little bit more about the money Mm -hmm. side of things. Right. And as I get to that point, I probably will too. But until then, right. I have the luxury of at least living this lifestyle that most people Mm-hmm. envy for i guess i don't really know mm-hmm. but um don't envy for my lifestyle it's not that great <laughs> <laughs> but, um, car payment and a cat that out <laughs> car payment, cat. Car payment. <laughs> apartment top ramen for lunch <laughs> <laughs> like, nobody wants that you know like, top ramen for lunch and dinner it's you know but no but um until you you know until you have those things i think that does change a lot of your generation they started families a little bit younger than we did they had all these they had the luxury of going and buying a house they had the luxury of doing all these things and then they were also they had they were kind of i don't want to say you were told what success was but you were very well mm-hmm. guided mm. into this is how your life needs we to be we were told you get you, your schooling you get a the, job the reality, corporately and go, exactly. go, go. the reality is i think is that especially my generation and and getting into the, the even the younger generation than me we've kind of our lives have been guided by that freedom standpoint of like, what do you want to do little guy? Because what's important, right? Everyone's a first place winner. Everyone gets a trophy. No, not even that. It's just that you, you're told, you know, you get to decide Mm. you get to do versus I don't think a lot of other generations were told that the other generation, my dad, for instance, was told, okay, you're 18. It's time to go work, time to get a job, time to go start a family. That's it. That's your choices, right? I didn't have that. It was like you turn 18 and you're like, oh, what do I want to do? What do I, what's, what does my life look like? And I think that's where the, the the definitions of success and everything have taken a different route because we look at things entirely different because we haven't grown up in, in these same, same circumstances of you guys. And we look around and we think, yeah. oh, there's more to life than just working and that's it. Well, I know, think the big um, mistake that our generation made and, you know, the bull as a boomer can attest this. The big mistake that we made is, you know, you and I didn't invest heavily in the stock market when you were 7 and <laughs> I, I was, yes, you know, I, 15. The, I do regret 2008 being in kindergarten yeah. and um, <laughs> not having $10,000 yeah. to deposit into to a $90,000 yeah. home. I know. Um, it's, it's really yeah, shame. It, was, you know, it really I mean, is. That's the no, one but, regret you know, that I think we have. Yeah. Boomers don't worry, they're all going to be blamed for everything. We're going to be able to buy their houses. Well, no. Be a very large because the banks will buy them unless yeah. you know and then unless we'll have I to fight the, the bank, banks you know, so my next yeah, company yeah. bank llc so so every let's, one we'll, of these ends up ganging up on the boomers bank bank llc bank bank llc come invest in us we'll invest in you <laughs> investing in us to invest in you that's good uh so that's, transitioning away from the business aspect of things uh, the aspect of life that involves those with mental disorders and mental illness has kind of propagated itself up to the forefront of pop culture yeah, very much. So as someone who works in that industry, do you think that today where it is at the front of almost every conversation when it comes to online, really, do you think today we view people with 
that struggle with mental illness better or worse? Oh, I mean, definitely better, right? They're not, we're not putting them in mental institutions these days, you know. Um, it's so funny because people think, mm. uh, you know, people. Streets sure. of LA. <laughs> okay. But in Arizona, we're not, all right? Yeah. You know, they, they have services here. Maybe you can't speak for California, yeah, but, yeah. you know, here in Arizona, we care about them. We love them. And, mm. and, that, and that's really the whole point I think that we should have is, you know, they're humans. We should treat them as a human and we should love and care for them any other way that we would treat any other person. Think, think about these services. This, these services were, they're actually a federal law. I think it was in 92. It was Bill Clinton, I think one of them too. But anyways, they made a law. Okay. Every single state needs to offer some sort of services for the intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, and every state's been kind of slow to get those going over the years. Um, but Arizona's really, you know, taken that and been like, all right, let's go ahead and do this. Let's start that. And that's why we do have um, one of the best set of services for that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're not, they're definitely not in, in, um, in institutions anymore. Um, but there still is like when you go out in the community and stuff, there sometimes still is like a little bit of a scare of like, okay, you know, these individuals are, you know, interesting, but I think the, the whole piece of that is like one of the things I teach my staff is we want to teach goals, right. That are socially acceptable. Right. And what I mean by that is it's not, you know, the socially there, the world's not going to tailor to anybody. Right. So we have to make that. Okay. What's socially acceptable. And what I mean by this is if we're in a movie theater, what's socially acceptable, sit down, be quiet, watch the movie. Right. Being socially acceptable is not running around screaming and everything else. Right. No, that's just a normal thing. Right? Unless so you're in LA. So that's our goal. I was just there. Beautiful state. <laughs> yeah. All right. 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 Beautiful. LA. You step over. Beautiful state. Thing. Beautiful state. <laughs> you get, you take a other street. If you keep beautiful. looking up. Everything is great. <laughs> you know, is, I, you know, when I just smelled the air and it was, I was like, wow, <laughs> yeah. tears. I yeah. was crying. Cause wasn't, it was so yeah, gorgeous. It wasn't the uh, feces on the street. Um, that was no, they just cleaned it up actually for the, uh, yeah, China. conference was yeah so. yeah well politics but, aside yeah you know but anyways uh <laughs> the um <laughs> you keep getting speaking of california they actually it's so interesting because they don't they have these services but mm. they're not to the extent that arizona does no um and a lot of states do not have the same set of the federal government made it a law. Okay, this needs to happen. In each state, but they were very, decide, right? yeah, very loose on how that actually needs to happen. So every mm-hmm. state's taken that now and has been like, oh, well, let's do this and let's do that and mm-hmm. let's do that. And so that's kind of created this dynamic that we have where all these different states are offering different services to everything else. And it's sad because some states offer very little services to for certain people. And even Arizona, I mean, we only offer services. You need five. Um, there's five service, five disabilities that we actually offer services to. It's um, intellectual disabilities, autism, epilepsy, and um, cerebral palsy. Down syndrome is now there, but down syndrome was not added until July of 2021. Hmm. So, down syndrome alone never got you services. Why it do you think always, it takes so long? Oh, I mean, you bureaucracy. Yeah. I mean, you have mm-hmm. people making laws who are um, in there debating and everything else. And the, I think one of the things that the struggles that we have these days is that everything's attached to something else. So in order to get one law passed, you need to add about a million other laws in order to get that one law passed. And so that's the other struggle that I think we have in government. But I mean, uh, besides all that, I think it just it takes time because you know you look at certain things and okay well you know do they need services do they not need services and 
thank God I'm not the one making those decisions. That's the best part of my, my job is I don't have to make those decisions. When you come to me, you already have services. So I don't have to then decide, well, you don't get these hours or anything. Everything's controlled by the state. So by the time they get to me, we just offer the help. So I'm on the good side of things because I'm not the one taking away their hours or controlling their hours at all. I give me the hours and they work. So that, that's about the best part that we get to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, things are definitely uh, changed over time, but that's what I try to teach our staff is, you know, teach these members things that are socially acceptable. Um, because that's ultimately our, our, our goal is to get them to be, um, accepted by society because unfortunately the world that we live in, a lot of people don't accept, you know, these individuals into the community. Um, and it's sad because they are humans and, and you know what, regardless of their disabilities, they're the most loving, kind individuals and they just need support and, and care, um, is really the point. You know, as a little bit of perspective, when I was, in my teens, I used to go to a place back in Michigan called the Pathfinders. And it was a facility that had every disability you could think of under that roof. And you were you're absolutely right that some of these some of these people were just just walking in there. I was part of this group that would go in there once a month. And just when we would there was like ten of us, we'd walk in there and Everybody just the, the level of emotion, the level of excitement would go up. Now, things are handled so much differently today than it was back then. Way, way better, in my opinion. Bottom line is, is the methodology handled today is privatization. We can talk about all the different things you're involved with and all the different things the state is allowing to happen. But what's, what's really changed at the core of it, from my opinion, is it went from state mandated and state run to state mandated and privately run. So they've, they push this out into the private sector, which is not a bad thing because you have a differentiation of, of opportunities for people to, to create businesses like you're doing and affect that type of population in a positive manner where before it was just bring all of them into one setting, which was ripe with abuse ripe with problems it's not i mean there's still plenty of that to go around yeah but it was a different setting and i think what the states in federal government did in 92 or whenever they enacted this is they said we want to still make sure people can apply for this but we want to get them out of the institutions now certain states have done a good job and certain states have not yeah i mean you know some states have not um taken that aspect of like privatizing things and, and going off of that. I mean, yeah, that, you know, we're, we're for profit business I and mean, we do, mm-hmm. you know, we make money and everything else and you, and you can go nonprofit or you can do this and that. I mean, all nonprofit is, is meaning, Oh, we're not going to spend the money. You don't worry, but yeah, they, so they, there's no different. I mean, nice, it's a tax, nice, it's a tax benefit. Yeah, is all it nice is. Euf- euphemism for more tax about money. Looking at nonprofits. They're not what you think they are. Yeah. I mean, they're really not. I mean, they're, they're not people put nonprofit cause it makes it sound better. Yeah. It's the same thing. I mean, it really is, but you know, some states have taken that route. Some states have not taken that route. It just depends. Um, we decided to go the for-profit route, not for any particular reason. I mean, it's just, you know, we didn't want a board. We didn't have to deal with that stress of having a board and all these other things. And it was too much to work with. So we were like, we'll just make it so, you know, LLC. I want your opinion. I mean, very interesting fact, yeah, factoid that I was reading about before this episode. Uh, according to the WHO, the World Health Organization, uh, <laughs> needs to change the name, uh, one in seven 10 to 19-year-olds experiences a mental disorder, accounting for the global burden of disease in that age group. Our brother-in-law has autism and has an affinity for such things as Care Bears and Sesame Street. In your working experience, do you think that prolonged access to juvenile entertainment and media might be playing into what we now consider to be mental illness? 
I've never thought of that. What it's it interesting. Um, well, the reason I, I'm asking is yeah. because there's there's plenty of different instances where people develop a fixation. Oh. Do you think there might be some level of I don't want to say misdiagnosis, but difficulty in determining a true diagnosis with fixations such as that? Well, again, that's why they say we're all on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really right. You, it's interesting because when you have fixations, it doesn't necessarily mean that's just one. I don't know if it's called a symptom. It's just one aspect. Yeah, yeah. Of what, the, I mean, there's many things with autism of what, you know, a true autism and, and even on the spectrum, even the people that get services, it's like so indifferent. I remember my very first day of working, there was somebody who came in. Um, she was like maybe my age. Um, and I remember I was in the middle's classroom. So she came in and she was working and everything. And I went up there and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm Jake. Nice to meet you. And I'm so-and-so and everything. And, and she's like, Oh hey, yeah, you know, I'm so-and-so and nice to meet you and blah, blah, blah. We're having a perfect conversation. And then I, I was just keeping it going. I was like, well, how long have you worked here? You know? And, and she turned and she goes, work here. I go here. And I was like, what? It, because again, I, I didn't, I didn't have this. I had this thought of what special needs was like, mm-hmm. and it was entirely different from what it actually was. And and I was like, what? And so even, even individuals who are are getting services, you have highly independent, and those who need a lot more care. I mean, you have some who wouldn't even you don't even know. Even You're know. like, yeah. they, you know, they're socially just struggle there and everything. And, and those are stuff that we work on, you know, Hey, how do we hold conversations and how do we make sure that we're making eye contact and all that and yada, yada, yada. Right. So that's stuff that we teach. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily helped. I think one of the biggest things with, with fixations and stuff is we don't, we don't want them to fixate on things um, because then it just keeps getting over and over and worse and worse and worse. Those are situations that we work on, right. Mm-hmm. Where we come in and we say, okay, rather than don't say, Disneyland or don't do this or whatever. We have to break that barrier of things. So we're going to work on that and we're going to say, Hey, we don't get to go to Disneyland right today because we want them to understand, Hey, it's okay that we're not going to Disneyland because we get to go to Disneyland next year or whenever. Right. The same way that you and I shouldn't get upset if we don't get to go somewhere or do anything. Right. That's really how that all kind of translates into things is we want to work on that stuff because People oftentimes will do that route of you know, just don't say it, don't say it. I'll get really mad and everything else. Well, if we don't do that, we're gonna we're gonna continue this path of allowing this behavior to take place, and we don't want that. We want them to be able to see that change and see, hey, it's okay. We're gonna get through this it, together. It's it's funny though because I, I view a lot of this as patterned behavior, mm-hmm. and it's either exacerbated or um, you can break it depending on the way you view it. But the, the reality is, is if all of us, society in general, kind of likes that we are in pattern behavior, going back to what you're saying about the nine to five workday and all this other stuff, there's, there's patterns to what all of us do. And I think that the derivation between special needs autism and quote unquote, whatever you would call non-autistic, right? Because for all on the spectrum, we're all on the spectrum <laughs> is, is very slight, very slight. Yeah. There was a time well, when I was a kid where the, my parents had a teacher conference, I think it was like in fifth grade or something, maybe fourth or fifth grade, where they the, the teachers wanted to hold me back. And my mom and dad were like, why? Well, look at how he writes. He writes so small. <laughs> he writes these little tiny letters and things like that. So they took me into an optometrist, and I was about as nearsighted as you could possibly. You know, I'll, I could read, like, with my book up to my <laughs> oh, face. Sorry. So... So the, the point is, is that to your point, 
misdiagnosis happens all the time. Yeah. And with with my son, we we tested his his auditory uh, systems, everything before we decided to believe in the 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 profile that the doctors were going to give him as autistic. Yeah. Now it's very obviously he is, and there are definitely things that have probably made things worse and not better. And there's definitely things that make things better and not worse. And, and it's a, and that's why I think the guiding light in programs like this are really vitally important to families Yeah, because the families don't know they're getting into this pattern behavior yeah. and, and making the problem worse. A lot of our work is with the families because, because mm-hmm. right. We, we see them what eight hours for mm-hmm. the week. Mm-hmm. So we, and, and this goes back to therapies as well we all need to be on the same page because if we're not all on the same page, nothing's going to work because the therapist doing something one hour a week and us doing things eight hours a week. But when the parents are not following, you know, the same pattern and everything, it's not going to work, right? It's like a treatment plan. That's you're never on the same page. You guys are giving them whatever. And we're giving them this. We all have to be on the same page or else nothing's going to work. So that's really the whole point of it. And you know, there's nothing, there's no such thing as normal right? Nobody's there. What is normal, right? We define normal by what is socially correct or what is socially appropriate, right? And so that's what we try to get to is that point. We don't try to get to a sense of normal because there's no such thing as it. Mm. Um, so we try to say, okay, what is socially correct or socially normal or, or socially um, acceptable, acceptable into what's happening, right? And, and that's where I go back to the movie theater thing. You know, that's one of the greatest examples that I give because that's, everyone kind of understands that. Yeah, I get really mad when people are even coughing during that. I'm like, stop coughing. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to pay attention, especially when it's a quiet movie. I'm like, put on subtitles. Come on. Like, yeah, so. exactly. With the increase of intellectual developmental disabilities across the world, how do you view a guiding like service will help that problem or issue? And then follow up, what does a guiding like service look like five years from now? The reality of it is that you could open up a, one of these businesses that I have on every single corner and there still wouldn't be enough, enough services. Just, I think yesterday I checked, there's 11,000 people in the state of Arizona that need the services that we provide. Keep in mind, we only provide three. There's like, I think maybe 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 services that the state actually provides. So this is just in three services. There's 11,000 people that need services. I could I could go out tomorrow and get eleven or, or, or ten thousand members, and it still wouldn't help every single person. That's a reality that I think is is tough for us in the business, is because there's there's still people that need services that we're never going to be able to help. Um, that's just the reality of it. So it's difficult um, because those families are they've in a lot of the cases they've they haven't had services for years um or have never had services um and they're just you know in these cases a lot of times somebody doesn't work in the family they're at home taking care of this member all the time every single day some families have are fortunate enough to be able to afford that some are not um and and that can be really difficult for them so um one of the greatest things that the state has now done is they've offered parents an opportunity to um, jump on and actually get hired on and um, build those services and actually get paid for it. Um, so two of the services, habilitation and attendant care, the parents can actually get hired on with us and provide those services. Um, and that's been really great because it's filled that gap at least of, again, we're, we're in the business more for the families, not necessarily the member, even though 
the state wants us to say, okay, the member, the member, the member, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, I'm in it for the families because I see the struggles. I've seen the struggles of my own families, of other families. And that's ultimately what made me be like, okay, I need to start one of these because these families need help. Um, so they've allowed parents to, to get hired on and, and actually bill for that. And that's going to be great because that's another income source coming in. Um, and it pays well. I mean, it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's another, it's a good piece of income. Um, and then in terms of five years, I mean, the state's going through different, they're really changing a lot of things right now. So it's kind of tough to say, okay, where are we going to be at? Because there's a lot of new policies. There's a lot of new protocol and all kinds of different stuff that they want us to do. Um, that's been a lot of my job is dealing with the state, <laughs> um, which, you know, a lot of agencies look at the state as like the bad guys, like, oh, they're, you know, they're the state, they control this, they, you know, they're whatever. And it's like, the state, I see the state more as like our partner in this. Like they need us as much as we need them. We all work together in order to get this member the services they need. So, but I would love to add um, different services to our, what we're, what we're already offering. Um, I don't know what those services look like yet. Um, there's so many different ones. I mean, there's employment programs, there's um, day, day programs, um, which is what I used to work in. There's uh, therapies, there's group homes, um, there's nursing. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of different services that you can be involved in. So I don't know exactly which ones we're going to add. But in five years, I do hope to um, help a, a heck of a lot more families. Jake, it's been really insightful, this conversation. Yes. Bull, do you have anything to add? I'm an old boomer, so I've got a little bit different way of looking at <laughs> a lot of this stuff. But, but I appreciate where you're coming from on this. I really do. And, yeah. and uh, you're doing a good thing. And it sounds like for the right reasons. And that's the kind of entrepreneurs that we need in our society, right? 